0: And the beauty with echo, <coughs> while we're here, is that you can exclude other causes of shock quite yes, quickly yeah. as well. So if the heart's not pumping, then you're like, mm, is there a, yeah, is there a, you know, peripartum cardiomyopathy going on here,
1: or is there some, or you know, big um, effusion, pericardial effusion, or, or,
0: or a valve lesion, or yeah. oh, does that look like a PE, mm. yeah, <laughs> <You're laughs>
1: blown out right heart, yeah, something.
0: exactly, yeah. D shapes. So
1: Welcome back, everyone, to part two, where Sneha, Jess, and myself continue our discussion on maternal sepsis. <laughs> okay, what are we up to? We've done uh, that. We've done the bugs. We've done the antibiotics. Yeah. Although we might need, you know, source control. Source that's, control. That's the next on your list. Yeah, that's next. Should We on talk my list? about that. That would. Uh, that ideally, if, um, it'd be good to have an obstetrician to give us some. Yeah. Just discussion about that, but we can make some um, observations, I guess, and, and hopefully we don't make any mistakes. Apologies to those listening.
2: I think it's one of those very – I mean, we're always about source, control, source, control, source. That's the number one thing, you know, before yeah. they get admitted to ICU, <laughs> even have you address the um, – <coughs> uh, yeah, fix the source. But um, I think it would be a very uh, – it would require a multidisciplinary yeah. decision with obstetrician, ICU, anesthetist, medics, mm. et cetera, Obviously you have not just the mum in mind but timing or the fetus in mind in terms of what gestation, timing of delivery, whether chorio is a primary source or what the actual um yeah, that's right. differentials are. So and I what guess what Yeah, the we're talking are, about yeah. like um
1: choreo, I mean, I yeah. specifically mm. at the moment. So I think and I was reading the article I was reading before I came mm. Came, you know, it says, you know, pregnancy related causes. Then obviously um, and delivery is an important mm. um uh, is a treatment yep. because it's getting rid of the source, you know, the infection um, but it's a bit different when they have a, um, an alternative diagnosis like yeah. influenza or um, some mm. other infection and often the, you know, delivery is not really going to help the yep. mother specifically yep. anyway. Appendicitis also. or yeah, right. something, bowel-y. So, like so you may not be in a hurry to deliver yep. the baby, especially if the baby to. is too small. Yep.
2: Yep. And I think the underlying principle is looking after the mum is the best way to look after The baby, Baby, right? That's the underlying principle for
0: anything. And if you're not winning after a reasonable attempt at resuscitation, you're a few hours down the track, so your antibiotics, you know, like 12 or so plus hours down the track, your antibiotics have had a chance to start working and you're losing the battle, like you're developing more organ failures and your patient's still profoundly shocked, then you need to go looking for the source that may be hidden. Yep. You know, are there retained products? is there a hidden wound infection that we've not yet found, that kind of thing. And
1: usually you do that uh, with some sort of imaging and things, wouldn't you? Yeah. Yep.
0: Yep. Imaging or clinical... Um, Suspicion. Get your obstet- obstetrician, <laughs> gynecologist colleagues to um, to come.
1: So imaging, but sometimes you just have to do s- uh, surgical exploration. Yes. Oh, is that right? Yep.
0: yep. Yep. The last case I was involved with that um, the patient did not have imaging... Um, they went
1: straight for their dream. Mm. Yep. So it's always challenging, but it's mm. important. Cool. Um cool. Yep. So mm. we're, well, we're doing really well. We're, um, we're covering lots of really good stuff. So the next thing, we've got um, management in ICU. We sort of touched on a lot of all this yeah. stuff anyway, but it'll be really nice because uh, most of us, I mean, now myself, you know, we've worked in ICU during in our training, which was a while ago mm. for me, but mm. doing a deep dive on what you guys – know, are doing at the moment on some of your therapies mm. would, would be really useful. So yep. we touched on vasopressors. Maybe um, we should we start but with fluid? Yeah, but yeah. We, that's a good. Because yep.
0: even um, we talked we about fluid resus, crystalloid, 30 or so mils per kilo. Be more careful with your obstetric patients. Um, but I guess crystalloids, they say, is the first line. It's easily available in the ward. Everyone's familiar with it. Um, we like to use balanced crystalloids, plasma light, CSL, as you guys would in theatre, rather than you normal saline. Yep. Um, there's not a lot of good evidence to support that, actually, which is very sad for us. Um, <laughs> there's now <Not> <laughs> a large number of pretty good RCTs, uh, most recently a big one about plasma light versus saline, and there are no big differences. Yeah. There is some evidence that saline might, you know, increase your acidosis and yep. um may um cause kidney injury but it's not strong evidence yep but anecdotally everyone likes balanced crystalloids because it physiologically like makes a lot more sense and particularly if your patient's acidemic giving chloride doesn't make much sense um so we stick to that csl's yep. pretty cheap these days um yeah. even plasma even plasma bad, getting mm. he's getting better um so balanced crystalloids if possible uh, and then beyond the 20 or 30 mils per kilo, I would go straight to albumin if your patient's still shocked. Yep. Um, and how would
1: you would – because you, uh, you, you were talking before we started recording about n- measuring fluid responsiveness. Should we oh, delve yeah. into that? Because we, now, oh, now we're getting yeah. into <laughs> – so now we're yeah. talking about like a patient is now in ICU. As in, they've
0: had their fluid resus. Is there room for more fluids? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, like a daily – Question. Yeah, that's true. And that's why we uncommonly (laughs) give crystalloid boluses because they've been resuscitated by the time, most of the time, by the time they've come to us. And so if we do use fluid, often it is albumin, 4% or or concentrated. Um, So fluid responsiveness, yeah, is challenging, Um, even with tools. So there are static and dynamic measures of fluid responsiveness. So the simple things are... um, you look at the patient's blood pressure and heart rate before and after and give them classically a 500 mil fluid challenge and see if the heart rate goes up and the, the heart rate goes down and the blood pressure goes up or the lactate comes down. All of those are static measures. They're not really very good. It might give you some idea of where your patient is on the Frank-Starling curve, but it will give you no idea how they will move along the curve. Yeah, So it doesn't tell you about... Fluid responsiveness.
1: Maybe just for some of the listeners who don't know, who who'd, um, aren't familiar with this topic, we'll just explain what we're mm. trying to do. So obviously, we're trying to balance the the risk of if we give them too much fluid, then we're going to cause bad things like pulmonary edema yeah. and, and trouble, uh, difficulty and breathing, and
0: soggy organs just don't work very well. Yeah, so soggy kidneys aren't going to recover yeah. quickly, and a soggy liver, and, and etc. So, so just because their blood pressure is
1: seventy five over thirty five doesn't mean that uh, if we give them another bag of fluids we're going to yeah. make them better we actually might make them worse
0: and if they're aneuric as well doesn't mean, mean they'll yeah. start peeing because yeah. they might be aneuric for other reasons because
1: of the, because their blood pressure was probably low because their vasodilated. are yep. dilated not because they're um, hypovolemic yeah mm. or sometimes they get cardiomyopathy but we might about that a little bit and later and they
2: have capillary leakage don't they yeah the so, yes. so all the yeah. fluid you give is just going to be extra yeah. there is a limit interstitial fluid you yeah. should yeah. give I it's like the yeah. Goldilocks
1: principle yep yeah
0: and there's yeah. more and more evidence that is suggesting that more fluid is bad yeah um and there are pretty strong trends with um increased morbidity and mortality with correlating nicely with the amount of fluid the, the patient's got Yep. i don't i don't know if there's any studies like that in obstetric population specifically but certainly in the general adult population that's a common trend
1: yeah I don't know either people don't do yeah. study but well not prospective randomised studies it's in obstetric to, patients because it's yeah, hard yeah. there <coughs> might be some observational studies I don't know yeah
0: but yeah so um, mm. so too much fluid might be bad so you want to know who it's going to be good for and help and who you actually yeah. just need to use vasopressors and inotropes for um, so yeah so, st- so measures like heart rate blood pressure lactate all those things don't give you a lot of information even after a fluid challenge um, so ideally, we try to use what we call dynamic measures, um, and they take into account the heart-lung interactions. Yep. And a lot of these are mainly validated for ventilated patients, but we certainly cross those concepts over into awake and spontaneously breathing patients. Um, so for example, pulse pressure variation and a passive leg raise. So a passive leg raise is literally just living, lifting a patient's legs up in the air for Sixty seconds to three minutes, and it is a reversible fluid challenge. So, in someone who you're worried that they might not tolerate more fluid, but you'd like to know, you can give them almost a 500 ml fluid bolus in the absence of TED stockings. Um, (laughs) Which um, they probably should have, which they should have on. (laughs) Yes, if you hold your legs up, they get all. Maybe
1: take those off, put on some floatrons, turn that off for a while, and then do do the.
0: Yeah, yeah, (laughs) and so they they get this um, 500 ml fluid bolus, and if you. In anaesthetics, for example, in your modules, you have pulse pressure variation abilities. Yes. If you've got an art line in, that's a really nice tool to use. So you could absolutely do a before and after using that. We don't have those fancy things in ICU. Um, but no, yes. You don't? No. Oh, right. No, really? comes none of the, the ICUs I've worked in it's have It's part of that. the
1: um, – we don't even have to, like, buy it or It's just it's part, part of, of the, the – um, I've tried to get them up in G, G all the units machine. I've
0: worked in, but I've never found it, yep. so. And is better. pulse pressure, are you looking at an absolute number or are you
2: looking at a trend with the pulse pressure? My understanding trends is trends are usually at a bit better. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So, I mean, the, the technical definition of fluid responsiveness is that your stroke volume variation increases by 10 to 15% after a challenge.
1: So, I might just, because well, we, we all know what we we're talking about, but yeah. that's for people who aren't listening. So, what happens is when someone's on a breathing machine, so they're getting yeah, positive pressure ventilation, so they're getting. Um, gas pumped into their chest that's opposite of normal so normally we we have negative pressures in our chest we sort of breathe in and out we sort of suck air in and out but when you blow up the chest full of um, positive pressure it's hard for the blood that's in your legs and your veins and your body to get back into the heart and when you're hypovolemic so when you're a bit empty um with, with each breath that you pump in and out, then you, that'll change the volume that comes out of your heart when it beats. Mm-hmm. So you get a, a, this sort of variation, and you can see on an arterial line um, this sort of where swing it go, yeah. where it goes up and down. And so the pressure will go, be high when, it, when, the, when, the, when the positive pressure's out of the lungs, and when you pump pressure into the lungs, it's hard, and the pressure gets lower. And that's just a way of measuring it, isn't it? So that yep. we're just looking at a percentage change. So during inspiration and respiration, does the pulse, how, how much does the pulse change?
0: So the systolic pressure, essentially, yeah. mainly, you're looking at the systolic. Um, yeah, and some of the modules or some of the monitors will actually just spit out a number for you, yeah. which is quite nice, and the trend is, is good. So, yep. yeah, you can do a virtual fluid challenge like a leg raise or you can give a bolus of 250 or 500 mils of crystalloid or albumin. You can see if that changes. And if it does... Then they're probably fluid responsive, yeah. or if your pulse pressure variation um, is high at baseline before an intervention, then yes, they probably yep. will respond to fluids. And the next step, I think, I guess, with the dynamic stuff beyond these sort of more crude things, would be using echo um, trans thoracic echocardiography to, um, very simply, actually, once you know what you're doing. Um, to get an idea of what the stroke volume is and measure it, and therefore your cardiac output. And again, you can do before-after studies, before fluids and after fluids, or before vasopressors and after vasopressors to see and if it, your therapy is working.
1: And is that more so more valid than the spontaneously breathing person who's not on the ventilator? Yeah, or, it's or only
0: validated on mechanical okay, ventilators so, so basically it's the same principle. The, but the reason yeah. is is that the the differences in um, blood pressure in inspiration and expiration are just much more pronounced in a ventilated patient yes. compared to a yeah. spontaneously. That's the, the real reason I think most of the studies are yeah. done in them. But um, I know um, the consultants, many of the consultants in my unit will um, will do these measures in, in a spontaneously breathing patient that they're worried about that they don't want a fluid overload um, and wondering what other therapies might be effective. Yeah. I don't, I don't have we, have push- we got
1: time for a two-minute anecdote? It's a little bit of a yes. off track. Yes. We always have to. I remember, so Ed Lachlan, if you're listening here, he volunteered me, uh, so this is against all the guidelines of <laughs> ethical research. <laughs> um, many years ago, he um, did this great study. We had 10 anaesthetists, and we all volunteered to have, I think it was 20% of our blood volume removed from us uh, while we were spontaneously breathing, <laughs> oh my God. And, and then put back into us, and we had all these... Um, uh monitors that we we're talking about which measure pulse pressure variation i think we had 2 or 3 of them attached to us and we had to have an esophageal doppler down in down our nose doing all the things that um Jess was talking about measuring the doppler through the mm. um through the aorta i think it is the ascending aorta mm-hmm. so that was interesting i was told uh, ed came to me and said Rog fast next monday make sure you're fasted in the morning <laughs> <laughs> i've got your non clinical <laughs> 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 and um I can't remember if all these monitors how, how accurate they were in uh, in spontaneously breathing patients but yeah I think that has got no relevance to this topic <laughs> I, just, I just suddenly remembered that I was in that study <laughs> that you just casually lost
2: 20% <laughs> of your blood volume, volume and you nice. no stuck biggie. it into a
1: bag of ACD and um, then I was like tipping it back in in a blinded fashion so so there was a sh- like this sheet and so you could the person who was doing the measurements couldn't see whether it had given my blood back or not and I do remember, like I was lying there oh, as he was giving it back, and I suddenly my face went numb, and I said, "I can't feel my oh,
0: nose citrate. or my lips." Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> and it, and then I, it goes, "Don't worry, I've just figured out what it is." Yeah. I'll, yeah, I'll explain it to you afterwards. <laughs> yeah, it was all the citrate. I yeah, if you donate, was hypo-calcemic. if you donate um,
0: plasma, then you will be familiar oh, right, with so that. so the
1: plasma phoresis patients. Yeah, who, um, yeah. Well, if you just with citrate. red cross,
0: if you don't go for a plasma donation, then yeah. when you get your blood back, you, you get tingly. Okay. Unless you, you take a quick ease chewy thing before, and
1: that stops oh, it. Oh, that's good
0: salt. Yeah, it's, I think it's the bicarb or something. Yeah,
1: yeah. And this is from good. the citrate in the... So citrate binds the calcium. Mm. So it you, just prevents you oh,
2: sorry, your blood from clotting, from clotting okay. right? Yeah, so
0: yeah, yeah, he, yeah, So
1: when it was tipping it back in quite quickly, giving me sort of <clears> large <throat> aliquots of it back, uh, then I, yes, became hypocalcemic and my face went on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, we're going to get it. We digress. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um,
0: yes, echo's good. Um, yep. It's not... Uh, if you know how to use an echo or you're learning, even just like, you know, bedside um, point of care echo, they're not difficult measures. I won't go into what they are, but um, it's not difficult to measure someone's stroke volume and their cardiac output um, if you've got even half decent windows. Uh, and you can absolutely look at trends in a non ventilated patient as well, and they yeah. would be reasonably accurate. I know um, several of my colleagues will routinely do that.
1: -hmm. So basically, you're at the point. So if you do, if someone's hypotensive still, Mm. uh, you'll do some of these measurements, and if there's no fluid responsiveness, it looks like they're not going to respond to fluids. Then you're not going to give them more fluid. You're going to use uh, medications like vasopressors and inotropes to try and fix the circulation.
0: Mm. Yep. Yep. And the beauty with echo, (coughs) while we're here, is that you can exclude other causes of shock quite quickly Mm. as well. So if the heart's not pumping, then you're like "Mm, zero. Yeah. Zero you know, peripartum cardiomyopathy going on here.
1: Or is there some or you know, big um, effusion, pericardial effusion? effusion, effusion or, or a
0: valve lesion or, yeah. oh, does that look like a PE? Mm. Yeah, <laughs> um,
1: blown out right heart. Or yeah, something.
0: exactly. Yeah. And a D-shaped septal flattening and all those things. Yeah. So you can actually get a lot of info from um, from a quick bedside echo. That's
1: why echo is so much better than some of the other things <clears> because <throat> it tells you all this other stuff. Yeah,
0: yeah. And, and on, on that note, think about other causes of shock. You yeah. know, you've labelled someone septic shock, but think about what else might be going on. Yes. If the patient's not responding how you would expect them to be, um, just exclude things. Yes, you know, and often it's not that difficult to and just obstetric quickly. Patients, unfortunately, clotting. often
1: get have PEs, but yeah. actually even more and often hemorrhage. Bleed. Yeah, a yeah. yeah. number of times I've been told someone has um, had something, and it's turned out to be bleeding, and it was them initially. People thought it was something else. As, it's really common, yeah. And they don't. It's often concealed, yeah.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. All right.
0: Yeah. So we're up to vasopressors. Yeah, I really want to do a bit of a, a deep about. dive. I like
1: yeah. so when <clears> you so you were t- talking about noradrenaline, We've talked mm. about the dilution, yeah, peripheral and um, central. Um, so tell me again a bit more about sort of what sort of um, rate the noradrenaline get uh, mm-hmm. will get up to before you add it in vasopressin, and how do you make up the vasopressin, and how do you give it.
0: Yeah, so if you if you work in mills with the dilution that we've discussed, so our unit uses 8 milligrams and 100 mils, and that's yep. fairly standard. Um, so if you work in mils per hour, probably when you get about 15, 20 mils okay. an hour, I yep. would be thinking about adding so a not, second agent. That's not a
1: lot, is it?
0: About 0.25, 0.3 mics per kilo per hour is my trigger usually for starting yep. vasopressin. Um, maybe that's about 20 mils. I... Um, I started my ICU training in a mics per kilo per minute <laughs> unit, and I'm still struggling with the mils so per no, it's hour. Just per
1: hour, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, but somewhere around the 20, 20 mil mark, or um, yeah, about 0.25, 0.3 mics per kilo per minute. Mainly because you want to try and spare the pharmacological reason you're trying to spare your agents, the mechanism of action of noradrenaline, which is a catecholamine, it's like your sympathetic uh, nervous system flight or flight response kind of thing. You want to not use all of it in that mechanism and vasopressin works on very different receptors. And you can
1: uh, get tolerance or...
0: It's more... um,
1: Tachyflexes or a Not really. I
0: think it's more... There's maybe you're less likely to lose fingers and toes at high doses. um, And you probably at some point saturate your receptors and there's just no more response for that reason because you've Mm -hmm. just maxed out all your catecholamine receptors. Yeah, so is that atachyflexes kind of. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and then you add vasopressin would be the next... And um, what dilution is the vasopressin? Oh, God, now you're testing me. Um, it's a vasopressin. It's in units. We usually put 20 units into... 50 mils? 50 mils or something mm. like yeah, that. Something so. yeah.
2: <laughs> Check your local yep. guidelines.
0: <laughs> yeah. But something I'm like two sure units yeah. an hour or six mils per hour is, is probably the max dose that there's evidence for. Some well, I'll put a
1: link that. to that as well, maybe. I'll try and find the links. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So and usually, you, don't, you don't usually titrate that, though, do you? You just sort of run it. Uh, what some do people, you do? How do you yeah, do you it?
0: can. I mean, you probably usually start at near max dose, so two units an hour or, I'm pretty sure it's two, or six mils an hour in the, in yep. the correct <laughs> dilution in my unit. Um, yeah, maybe we'll put a link to that. But um, yeah, usually you can just start at that and then your NORAD will come down quite quickly. Or you can start at half of that dose. There's no sort of hard and fast rules.
1: Pharmacologically, it's it's more of a long-acting drug though, isn't it? So it's like, you know, noradrenaline like you... On-off. On-off, so yeah. you turn it up and within sort of, you know, half a minute or so the blood pressure goes up. turn mm. it down, blood pressure goes down. Yeah. But vasopressin is a bit more like metaramil or lo- even longer acting.
0: Yeah.
1: You start it and it stays up for a long time even it's if so you turn it off. Gone. Is that right?
0: Yeah, not yeah, that long. But, and you can start to see the effects probably within several minutes, not yeah. several seconds like NORAD, you might yeah. see it effect quite quickly and the vasopressin will start to take effect. Yeah, it does take a bit longer.
1: Yeah. Um, okay. Steroids?
0: Yeah. Um, so the same triggers probably. When I'm adding a second agent, um, I'll add steroids usually. Okay. Yeah.
1: So years ago when I was training, we um, there I am still confused about steroids because we had to do a synacthen test. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And then decide who was responsive. actually going to respond to steroids yeah. or not, and so some people got steroids and some didn't. But now, what, what? Where are we up to with steroids? Just a quick summary. Oh gosh,
0: yeah, that's like <laughs> a thirty-year, 30, year, 30 <laughs> I don't year want journey.
1: Thirty years. We, we could do like ten podcasts probably, but
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So it is this is very one of the big, big topics in ICU. So thirty years ago, they used ultra-therapeutic doses of steroids, like massive. so of, obviously, they caused harm. Yep. And then after those studies steroids went out, out of favour because they caused harm at such doses. And then they had this concept of, um, yeah, whether there's um, steroid responsiveness or there's um, like yeah. cortisol deficiencies and, and yep. things like that um, and started using more normal doses of steroid and then a whole series of uh, like big RCTs came out in sort of the 2000s, 2010s and I think the most recent was 2018, um, the Adrenal Study and Approaches. Uh and long story short, um, there's been no convincing mortality benefit, but it gets your patients off mechanical ventilation sooner and gets them off their vasopressors sooner. Okay. And that's been And what doses consistent. are they using? What um, doses traditionally, they using? 50 milligrams QID of hydrocortisone. Okay. So, sort of like. Often we start with 100 own. first dose and Just then you go 50 QID. Sort of level. Yeah.
1: It's like some more medicines or something. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, so that's pretty standard. And you continue it until their shock starts to improve. And even now in, um, like, ARDS and COVID, obviously, we've, in all those inflammatory yes. illnesses, well, we're starting th- to th- see mm. that um, steroids have, yep. have now got a reasonable evidence base.
1: And a lot of, um, well, any patient who has an anaesthetic in my, f- my theatre gets a big bolus of, sort of dexamethasone Di- to okay. stop them from getting nausea. Nausibia. And, yeah. and any, a lot of our pregnant women are getting um, Lots of celestone as well, Ooh. betamethasone intramuscularly yep. for um, for their fetus. So they're often being given steroids, but yep. that's by the by. Mm-hmm. Are there any new um, vasopressors on the horizon? I know that there's some angiotensin or something I heard.
0: Yeah, angiotensin too. That, there's only been one trial. They need more studies. It's
1: not really released to the market. No. But it's, it's working Working on different receptors.
0: Research. Works on different receptors again. It's an endogenous kind of compound. Yeah. Um, but it is, yeah, research setting only at the moment and they need a lot more studies. It's showing some promise, particularly in patients with renal failure as well or acute kidney injury, um, but it's a watch this so space. So it be
1: good for someone who overdoses three packets of um, telmosatin? Yeah, maybe. Like yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, or maybe she just stick with the normal drugs.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and then vitamin C was the, the hot oh, topic. Yes. that's right. Mm-hmm. Recently mm-hmm. as well, but again, there's been... Wasn't it vitamin
1: C, steroids and thiamine or something? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Some of them combined those three and some just did vitamin C versus placebo. Um, And there's probably six to eight RCTs, all of which I had to remember for my fellowship, but I've forgotten them already. Mm -hmm. Um, But basically no difference really in any of them.
1: So it's good for scurvy, but not much else. Yeah.
0: So there's... Um, and then the latest um, guidelines, the Surviving Septus Campaign Guidelines from 2021, um, they've not recommended it, its routine use. Okay. But research is ongoing and, you know, the, there's a good rationale for its use, as in physiologically, but at the moment it doesn't work.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, so we're talking about organ support. Um, mm so we should, maybe we should go through the common organs, the kidneys, the lungs, and what else? But, and Hematology the, stuff is probably pretty important. Hematology and maybe um, if they have a cardiomyopathy or something.
0: Yeah, like. yeah. Yep. Yes, I mean, if you are concerned about cardiomyopathy back to drugs, you probably would start some dobutamine. Yep. And you'd involve your friendly cardiologist quite early on. Um, organise a formal echo, which will help you guide therapy as well. Because if there is undiagnosed rheumatic heart disease or yep. valvular pathologies, that is a completely different um, way of treating that often. Yep. Um, so, yeah, dobutamine is the inotrope of choice in most places, starting inotrope, mm-hmm. certainly.
1: Um, so, uh, when would you consider adding in uh, you know, renal replacement therapies?
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> That brings me back to like, there's however many randomised controlled <laughs> <draft laughs> trials as well. Um, at the bedside, I mean, there's obvious there's the absolute indications for renal replacement therapy. They are your uncontrolled hyperkalemia, hyperkalemia yep. um, your grossly fluid overloaded in an anuric state, yep. um, or pulmonary edema that you cannot, you know, you are diuresing and yep. the patient's not peeing. Um, right heart failure can be it can be very helpful to use. Renal replacement therapy because it just helps you control the physiology a little bit better. Yep. Um, so decompensated right heart failure, uh, and then there's the other the sort of main sort of kidney ones like massive urea. Mm-hmm. Um, mainly that's causing encephalopathy or pericarditis or um, platelet dysfunction or the patient's bleeding. Then you would add that in. Um, what are the other main ones? I don't think there's a significant. Some people state creatinine cutoffs, but yep. we. D- I mean, sometimes patients come in with creatinine of 900 and. They're coping okay, and yep, okay. They, that's sort of not that's sort of a softer one. So in, in
1: sepsis, there's no real sort of change. No, in sepsis so you so sort in, of even if they're in sepsis, you still just stick to the, the, the same. The big one is
0: in, normal. The big one in sepsis is acidemia. If their pH is less than seven point two, vasopressors work less well. Okay, mm-hmm. so your catecholamines, your noradrenaline and your adrenaline okay, so will not work.
1: So if they're vasoplegic despite lots of vas- yeah. vasopressors and, and they're acidemic, yeah, they would consider and starting
0: it. It's quite amazing what a anecdotally as well I don't, i'm sure there's some research on this but it's mainly just a icu thing that um you have a profoundly shocked patient on bucket loads of of presses um, but their acidemic ph is 6.9 or 7 for whatever reason lactate kidney injury um whatever and you start dialysis and optimize their ph and electrolytes and by the next morning, the presses are melting away like quite quickly. And it's probably, it's not because we're filtering out the cytokines and the, <laughs> the, and the bacteria. The
1: bad miasma.
0: Yeah, it's it's <laughs> probably just because of um, the pH changes of the blood and okay. that the drugs work better in a neutral pH. Mm.
1: I feel like we're talking about like really sick patients yeah. um, who are sort of getting near, the, near dying. Just quickly flicking back in the obstetric scenario, we should yeah. be thinking that maybe we've missed a um, source of sepsis. Because usually point, yeah. obstetric patients, if you get rid of the infection, bounce back real fast. Yep. So if yep. they're deteriorating like you know these sort of scenarios we're describing, you should
0: have you got keep, keep keep remembering limiting. that, shouldn't we? Yeah, yeah. Because
1: yep. yep. I know that we did. You know, there's um, sometimes you know, scans can show an empty uterus, but maybe there's like you were saying, necrotizing fasciitis, or um, you know, mm. necrotic uteruses, or mm. o- other things that have been missed. Yeah. Yep. Um.
0: And the haematology stuff, I think, is probably yep. very important in obstetrics. Mm-hmm. And, yep. Um, I mean, even in s- in septic shock, there's coagulopathy associated with that, but it seems to be more pronounced in the obstetric cohort, and they get DIC, um, and there's different flavours of DIC. There's sort of bleedy, bleedy DIC and clotty, clotty DIC. Yeah. That they kind of bleed but kind of clot, and it's mm. all very confusing. Um, and so it's nice to kind of know on which end of the spectrum your patient is on. And it sounds like the obstetric patients tend to be more on the clotty, bleedy yeah. end, um, <laughs> if that's a thing. Um, but I yeah, feel like run a, a ha- rotum. But that's a, one a a of a
1: haematologist listening are uh, d- uh, the head. I'm probably got <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: um, But <laughs> we, we're guided by Rosham a lot. You are. These days, yeah. Okay. And
2: one of the maternal uh, physiological changes is that they're pro coagulant. Yes. In the lead up to. Yeah. To pregnancy, so yes, often confounds I
1: mean, things uh, as well. I'm yeah. Not 100% really sure about sepsis, but obviously, yeah. um, other causes, yes, you know, sometimes we can become profoundly coagulopathic, too, mm. can't they? So yeah, with the prop- and then I guess with the, things,
0: the clotting part of it, and then causing bleeding and DIC, is that I guess you're pro in a pro coagulant state, and then you get a hit of inflammation, and inflammation makes you more sticky and more, yes. um, mm. more clotty. And then all of your clotting factors are used up in creating these clots. Yes. Yeah. Um, so consumptive. Which are often sepsis-related um, in microvasculature and which is often why we see, you know, ischemic fingers and toes in really bad sepsis. But if all these clotting factors are used up, you've got none left and then you bleed. Yes. And then we call <laughs> so it DIC. Consumptive coagulopathy. Consumptive coagulopathy, yeah. 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 And yeah. And so there is a bit of mix of both going on. and
1: yeah, um, It's good to get haematology hematology Hematology course.
0: early, yeah. Um,
1: and there are some sort of pretenders, of some re- the weird uh, microangiopathic hemolytic areas, mm. things that can present like sepsis, can't mm. they? Yep, like TTP so. and yep. all those, or Maha TTS yes. and Maha. all those really weird Hits, things mm-hmm. um, that people miss because they're so rare, but they people yeah. just get labelled as oh, you got a sepsis or something like that. Yep. Yep. So yeah, I think we have covered. Is there anything we haven't covered? What about ECMO? Mm. We've got about ECMO and. Oof. <laughs> It's only really good if the if the pump's not working, isn't it? Because ECMO, yeah. ECMO is a pump. The
0: so pump the So yeah. if it's um, bad, So yeah, If it's yeah. ARDS or, yeah. or pneumonia <clears throat> from flu, for example, yep. Um, then VV ECMO, yep. Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so that's basically for people who are listening. That's where you you just use an artificial lung. Basically, mm. you take blood out of a vein. V Yep. and put it back into a vein. Yeah, before the heart
0: and oxygenated. Yeah. In and the heart pumps around the That's oxygenated blood as yep. it usually would. So you need a well functioning so heart So where would you normally
1: put the sort of um, the out the the, 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 cannula- the line that the cannula, cannula, cannula takes the vein the, the so
0: blood out? Uh, either superior vena cava or inferior, yep. depending if you've got femoral or neck puncture sites. And usually we'd go. So it's usually ephemeral. through one
1: one. Usually it can through, through be, one like or sometimes the two. Avalon
0: can. Cannula is one, yeah. Uh, but that that's an IJ line. So the
1: distal um, one is the one that takes the blood, and the proximal the would one return replies.
0: it. So you want to try and return it into quite near the right atrium, yeah. really, yeah. Um, so you're not recirculating. Yeah. You're not sucking out your newly oxygenated blood. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the position is, is that, very if important. If that
1: happens, then you usually put another cannula, in, don't you? And you can stick put yeah it somewhere else.
0: Stick it somewhere else, or try and adjust. it. So one. And yeah, one we don't three. use the the single cannulas. Um, here, so usually our cardiothoracic <laughs> surgeons or the intensivists when they get involved will um, do femoro, femoro femoral, um cannulas. Okay,
1: so when you say femoro-femoral, that means using both femoral veins, one.
0: Yes. I or, one out, or? or one IJ. They can use one IJ and one femoral, or okay. two femorals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. VV.
1: And so that's. Where, but you need a heart that's working. Yeah. So that's when your lungs aren't working, but your heart's good. Yeah. And then when your heart's no good, you do, you do VA. VA.
0: So. You suck the blood out pre, pre-heart it. from the venous system, so from the usually from yep. the inferior vena cava, uh, and then you return it um, into a big artery. Into a big artery, usually the ascending aorta, but usually it's distal to the um, subclavian, the left subclavian. Yep. And it's just pushing oxygenated blood forward.
1: Yep, <clears throat> but most so most common um, cardiovascular situation in septic shock is just vasoplegia, though, isn't it? Mm. So the heart's good, okay, but yeah, just ways often of hyperdynamic. Yeah,
0: yeah, dilated. But yeah, usually this is, you know, if you've got pneumonia or ARDS or yep. um, lungs not working, or you've got a nasty septic cardiomyopathy Takotsubo, um, which you think is going to be reversible, yep. um, and the patient just needs time and support to get through to recover on their own. Yeah.
1: I'm sure there's heaps of things that we haven't touched on because sepsis is like huge, a topic. massive topic. Mm. Mm. But I feel like we sort of skimmed over all the really interesting, or a lot, of, a lot of the interesting things. So, is there any other final comments?
2: No, I think it's just important to always keep sepsis in mind. <laughs> in mind yeah. yes. Sepsis is a medical emergency. I managed,
1: you know? during the during this uh, discussion, I kept thinking of all these interesting anecdotes, but I mm. realised that I could completely sidetrack the <laughs> Yeah, I mean, maybe yeah. I'll <laughs>
0: mention one of... Um, oh, okay, yeah, a good A one. Bit, of, bit of physiology. We'll finish with one interesting... Yeah, yeah, so um, when it comes to working out how shocked your patient is and how they're going to respond to fluids and things, is sometimes don't be fooled by the blood pressure. Um, and that when we try and resuscitate patients either with fluids or vasopressors, we're trying to increase their cardiac output because your cardiac output will determine the oxygen delivery to your tissues, which is what we want. That's the yep. ultimate um, goal of the game. Um, and so if, um, if, because cardiac output um, or your, your blood pressure is dependent on your cardiac output and your systemic vascular resistance, so how much you're peripherally vasoconstricted, so sometimes people can have a seemingly normal blood pressure or somewhat acceptable, like a systolic of 80, maybe a MAP of 60, 65, but in fact their cardiac output is so poor that they are not actually perfusing any of their organs. And so they, if you're just relying on blood pressure as your parameter to assess someone for shock, you can get into trouble. So, um, so if your patient looks really sick... Their blood pressure's okay, it's not trended down, but they look kind of grey and their LFTs are going off and the lactate's eight. Like, it's all, it's real. Like, they really aren't perfusing their yes. organs. And often this happens in cardiogenic shock predominantly um, and unfortunately um, this is very late to be recognised because sometimes all of their parameters might be not in the purple zone of a met call or urgent escalation their sats might you know might be on a hudson mask of six liters and they might be saturating 92 percent so that doesn't initiate a met call um the respirate might be counted wrong and um you know someone's not noticed that they're now they were gcs 15 and now they're drowsy and delirious so there can be really subtle changes uh so i've seen this a couple of times um and every time it's not ended well for the patient unfortunately because of the late recognition and so um use multiple things to to determine whether the patient is shocked or unwell or not and if possible use these dynamic measures and yes so look at cardiac output not just blood pressure don't be fooled by the blood pressure
1: and if you so so bedside echo is like a good screening test isn't it and Mm. i know that not everyone could do it but but most people will be uh, most people who are listening There'll be someone in your hospital who could do it. Yeah, and cardiology
0: are often very um, um, happy to come and help out and yeah. if they're available to, to do a quick bed study. Um, I did
1: read something uh, in the last few years about um, capillary refill. Yeah, and, uh, it was versus that in Thailand. lactate. That, that was a study in Thailand or something, wasn't
0: it? Uh, it's, there was oh. another biggest study that yeah. looked at that as well, and so cap refill pretty, time is r- actually re- very good.
1: I remember being taught... Yeah. Um, how to do that when I was a medical student? Yeah, and I then use that. And then thinking every
0: oh. single day, capillary right, refill. Okay. Every day for every patient, I will document the capillary so refill. Central time. capillary, uh, just peripheral. on your on your yeah. finger, isn't it? Yeah, because I mean, this is still skin. You could argue So hold it down for three seconds. Yeah, something like that, and just count how much time it takes. Yeah, it and should any, be less than two seconds. Yeah, two. To, right? uh, yeah, something like two, two to three. Yeah, usually if, if it's it takes beyond like six f- or seven, f- <laughs> yeah, then you're like. Yeah. But I guess yeah the. The, the whole point is use, don't just rely on one measure. Mm-hmm. Yep. Take the whole picture into account. If someone doesn't look, if it's not quite right, measure the lactate. And if it is eight, then, you know, then you've got some really good evidence that something really bad is going on and you need to keep hunting and getting more help, like get someone to do an echo or...
2: Would you um, increase your MAP target in that case if
1: your? But if it's, it's if it's because their heart's not pumping, that's the true. Blood, it's probably it? not yeah. going to yeah. help. Yeah, There's something. They else might like need
0: dobutamine, so. yeah. for okay. example. But um, interestingly, I was talking about um, this topic with one of the consultant intensivists uh, yesterday in my unit, and he gave an example of an ob- obstetric anaesthetist of a story that he had heard that he had a, an obstetric patient who was shocked and. Um, the patient had a palpable pulse the, the whole time um, and sort of a not very unreasonable blood pressure, probably a systolic of around 80 or so. Um, but she ended up um, getting a hypoxic brain injury because her cardiac output was so low. So pressure doesn't equal flow. It's about flow. Yep.
1: Yep. And I remember being asked to go and see someone in uh, one of the labor rooms downstairs because she just delivered her um, babies so this was multiple gestation, mm. and her sets were 75, but she was breastfeeding, and <laughs> they weren't sure <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was going on, but they thought maybe the positive Oof. syndrome wasn't reading, you know, and I went had a look at her, and she was like, blue as, and I was oh like, God. oh, that's not good. Mm. Yeah. yeah, and she had a peripartum cardiomyopathy. Oh, yeah. And so she obviously had a really low cardiac output, but was like sitting up, talking to her family, breastfeeding, <sighs> coping really well because so the reserves of obstetric patients yeah. are scary. Yeah. Yep. All right, we might call it... Mm. Um, a day so we've recorded quite a long period of time so we're going to split this into two um, you guys already know that by the time you listen to this mm-hmm. <laughs> sentence that I'm saying because you will be on the second one but I just like to thank Jess and sneha for a really interesting topic and uh, it's been really useful thanks yeah. everyone thank oh, you thank you. thanks for listening everyone please go to the itunes menu and subscribe to the show if you like it write a review this will also help us uh, get seen by other listeners on the itunes menu if you're also interested please go to our website at www.obsandguinecretcare.org where there'll be lots of show notes and links to uh, interesting videos related to the topic you've just listened to see you again next time